reach with no fearing, throw clearing, scream it, let them hear it, run that shit up, baby. So, story time. When I was a young law student, I may have mentioned this in the past, I think because the guest on here I've had before, but when I was a young law student, I was quite the partier. And uh, because I was such a partier, I always look for spots to party. Then I met a young attorney. Well, she was young, but she was, yeah, she was youngish at the time. And she had the flyest downtown uh, condo. And I didn't know her at the time. I really didn't know her. But she says, hey, if you guys ever want to hang out and party and look for a spot, I will open up my home so you guys can have a great event. And you know me, I'm never one to turn down a free invitation to up somebody's house I said absolutely and so we threw an event at her home and true to her word we actually you know you know had a bunch of people and she paid for it all because we were broke you know law students we didn't have any money and so she not only opened up her home there was a and she had um it was at the Waverly mm-hmm. and uh, you know, had a nice little patio and was drinks and clearly nobody on a law school budget could afford any of that stuff. But what she didn't know is that she made me look like the man. Cause I was like, yeah, you know, I got this whole space locked up. I got all it, you know? And I was like, you know, I, I had it look like I, I was just the man at that time. And, you know, I was forever grateful. And you know what? Ever since that time, just like, you know, in the movie Toy Story, you have a friend in me. Aww. And so for, you know, the rest of our years, she was always someone who I considered a friend um, because she didn't have to do that. And she was very consistent because she's always, when you get to know this person, you get to know that, you know, it wasn't anything special about me why or anybody. There is something special about you, Kamara. I appreciate it. But, you know, she was very, she's always willing and always open to just opening her home, opening her life, opening up who she is. And she's just a genuine person. And that's why I needed to do an untraditional opening for this week's podcast because um, it's an untraditional um, guest because we have such a deep friendship and history. But before we get into that, 
Welcome to Uncultural Bias Podcast. My name is Kamara Williams. I'm your host. On our show, we say culture doesn't matter perspective and opinion. After all, culture doesn't know the way to say discovered. We are on culture, we are biased, we are black. If you're tuning in for the first time, welcome. If you're tuning in, if you're returning, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Um, of course, we'd ask you if you're on Apple or Spotify to um, rate the podcast. Um, that's how they judge algorithms. And we ask you to leave a message, uh, just a comment about how wonderful this incredible podcast is. Um, giving a shout out to our sponsors this week. Uh, we want to shout out Coleman Law. They just had their actual um, official grand opening. Um, they moved into a new, uh, they moved to a new location in Tallahassee. It was wonderful. Um, check them out at uh, Coleman Law, and uh, of course, you can have to help you with your business tax and all your um, uh, all your business real estate needs. Of course, if you're in a market for real estate, contact Keystone Global Real Estate at 407-680-8510. And of course, you're in a market for probate, estate planning, um, you know, trust, all that wonderful stuff. Contact Smith & Williams Trial Group at 888-SWTG-LAW or 888-798-4529. Or of course, at info at SWTG-LAW. Now, with that being said, I did use a song called Run It Up because we definitely ran up this woman's credit card when we were doing a party. <laughs> and, you know... Um, I appreciated her. So without further ado, dun, 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 my friend, Hi, Natalie Jackson. Thanks for having me, Kamara. <laughs> <laughs> this is so amazing to be here. I love talking to you because you are so smart and I forget myself sometimes. So uh, you get a lot of stuff out of me. <laughs> oh, see, see, first of all, she's just trying to you know butter me up because she wants to be a good podcast, but it's okay. <laughs> I'll take it. I, I am prone to flattery. So, Well, let's start. Yeah, let's start. So first of all. Um, you've been a guest on this pod before, but not in this capacity. And we're going to get into the dynamics of why you're here, but tell everybody, you know, what's going on with you. What's new. Okay. All right. So my name is Natalie Jackson. I am running for Congress here in congressional district 10. When I say here, I mean in orange County. Now, congressional district 10 is wholly encompassed in orange County. However, some of the cities are out. And this is very, it's something that happened with the whole um, redistricting. So what happened was DeSantis, of course, took a large swath swath of the western um, Orange County, which was a lot of black people. And he put them in with the the villages. He also expanded further east east, um, to pass UCF um, to the... um, what is that called? The, the reception Bishlo? center, the reception oh, center. Okay. Yes. Okay. And so it's there. And what that did was it took out Stephanie Murphy's, a large part of her district. Yeah. And he made Stephanie Murphy's district, which was district seven. It now goes all the way to Volusia County. So our district changed a lot. This mm. was supposed to be a black seat. Yeah. That, that is the thing. So now it's still a democratic seat, but it's, it's now, um, more cosmopolitan democratic because it's some, I think it was like 30% black. Yes. So it's 40% white now. 40% about white. 40% white yeah, now thir- when before it was about 40% black. Yeah. And so it, 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 am I right though with 30% black or am I? Yeah. About 30%. Um, okay. rough, let's do some rough numbers. So about 30% and then um, about thir- 25% Hispanic. Yeah. And then you have the Asian community and the, yeah. uh, you know, that community. So, which is a, a really important part of this race, honestly. Yeah. Because you have so many people in this race. Mm-hmm. And it's really, um, and you got a lot of young, you mentioned UCF. Yes. So a lot of UCF voters. Um, Winter Park? 
Winter Park, yes, Winter Park, Maitland, okay. Eatonville, Orlando. Um, it goes Dr. Phillips. Okay. Um, I don't. I, when Windermere does not in, in that. You know what? There's so one of my consultants said it was one of them didn't. The, if it is, it's like a very slender, small piece of it. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm. I got to look at my ballot. But I don't know if you're on. I would guess ballot. not. Most of the people that I know in Windermere, yeah. they they're not in the district. Yeah, they they exit me out. They yeah. want me to vote Republican. Yeah, yeah. All right, <laughs> so, or, or they want you to have a vote Republican leadership. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so um, definitely want to talk about your journey on this campaign trail, but um, let's just actually just get people to get to know you, okay? Your history and all this other stuff, and then we can get into transition into like your current status and you know uh, running. And one of the things I do want to talk about um, with running is just how you feel about it. Like, cause a first time candidate is right. always interesting, especially because you have supported people in the past. Yes. Yes. And I'm, I'm proud. You and I have supported the same people we many times. Yes. Now we did diverge one time. Remember? Oh, I, I won't say who, but you remember that. Yes, one. we did. Yeah. We won't talk about that. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> and I try to lean on you too, to get you to change. You did. You I did. Like, and and I like, understood why. Yeah. But you were like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Which I respected, though. Yeah. I was like, you know, and it's, it just means that, you know, you were very um, strong in your support. And, and my opinion of the work that this person had done. Yeah. So. Well, so, well, so let me, um, I think you were going to ask me about myself. Let me say yeah. one thing about this. That's it. I want to give you like a tidbit that people don't know. Okay. People usually see me on TV all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Doing these cases or whatever. Yeah. So they think I'm used to like doing radio and TV. I actually am not good at it. What do you mean? That's why I like to stand behind Ben a lot of times. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm more of an introvert. I like to like do the work. So, and you know, Ben got me to do television. I remember doing Trayvon. We're talking about Ben We're talking Crump. about Benjamin Crump. I'm sorry. I'm yes. getting ahead of myself. No, no, you're fine. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Ben, during Trayvon Martin, the Trayvon Martin case, which I worked on with Ben, mm-hmm. um, we were co-counsel. I hated to go on television because, you know, I was making it about me. Like I, I was very self-conscious about the way I talked, about the way I looked and all this stuff. And Ben was like, Natalie, is this about you or is it about the family? Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. put it all into perspective. Mm-hmm. And so every time I do, even like this, even though you're my friend or whatever, I, it's kind of, it's, I always am nervous about yeah. it. And, but I always tell myself, is it about me or is it about the mission? Mm-hmm. So that makes it easier to do it mm-hmm. when I say, is it about the mission? I get that. You know, actually, one of the hardest things about um, when I get, you're not a first time uh, pod, on the podcast, but I was talking to somebody earlier today and um, I was trying to get them on the pod. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, and there's a whole point for the story. Um, every time I try to get someone on the pod, they're like, okay, well, I need weeks advance notice. And I'm like, I don't even have, I literally have hours or right. d- days, right? It's your gift, though. For people who is not their gift, it's hard. Right. And that's, so that's what the person was explaining to me. They were like, yeah, you know, the problem is, Kamara, like, you know, it, you, think it's, you think it's just a simple, just jumping on the mic, just talking, and it, it is being quick. But other people, they feel like they have to be prepared. And I tell them, you know how little I am prepared on, the, on a podcast? It would actually shock listeners. I am so unprepared a lot of times on these pods. I literally just wing it. But to your point, I do notice when people are, it's the first time on the pod, there's a lot of skittishness, there's mm-hmm. hesitancy, and it's interesting because before I press the button to go on, 
they're free, they're easy, they're joking. And as soon as I, pre- yeah. I like, you know, it's like, I, you know, I kind of, like, I let the atmosphere be cool and we're having great conversation before the pod. I'm like, all right, the energy's up. Let's go ahead and press play and or press record rather. And then it's like, then they start getting a little skittish and they're like, you could tell they're tensing up. And I'm just like, oh my God, like, uh, come on, give me the same energy before I press the button. It's a gift though. You have that gift. One of my friends, Teslin Figaro, she has a gift. I always tell her that is your gift talking mm-hmm. and to be able, because off the cuff, she comes with stuff. Yeah. And so I think that when you, when it's your gift, a lot of times you don't recognize that it is a gift. I appreciate that. Or I just like hearing myself talk. One of yeah. the two. Yeah, but that's a gift too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we talked about um, Ben Crump. Um, it's funny you should say about Ben Crump. I'm gonna I'm gonna poke um, some fun at your friend here. Okay. Uh, you know, you say Ben does not. He's always said, you know, what is it about the way you look, or it's about the case. Ben always don't care what he looks like because Ben will get the cheapest suits, <laughs> the cheapest tight. And you told me this offline, so I'm, I'm not. I don't feel like I'm catching you're you off not, guard. You're not. But I'm like every time I've seen this man on TV, I'm like, why does this man looks like he he like? Don't talk about my friend. I'm he talking did. about your friend. His, ben just because we like, get his suits from look, what is that? I forgot. K N. Look, it K N G. It looked like K N G. And but it, it's a great. He loves KNG. It's a great attribute, but I'm gonna make fun of it because I'm sitting there. I'd be looking at like, all right, this man is so successful. This man has got tapped into the you know the White House. You know, it tapped into everywhere. This man is it's a legit celebrity. I mean, he was. I was watching Netflix the other day, and he was on a Netflix show. Yeah, he has a he has a documentary. On no, Netflix. I'm not even talking about the. No, I'm sorry, HBO, oh. HBO Max, yes. the show called Rap Shit. With, oh. He makes a guest appearance on, I'm like, this man's a legit celebrity. So I have to describe what you have on right now. Kamara has on like this oh. embroidered, embroidered, tailored oh, shirt God. as he talks about Ben. <laughs> this shirt looks like it costs probably $600. No, it, 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 it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> as he talks about Ben's suit. But I know. First of all, don't do, don't don't have people think I'm richer than I am because I'm not. And this shirt says rich. <laughs> no, it. <laughs> I'm so poor, y'all. I am so poor. I am so poor. I need money, yo. You start telling people you rich, they don't they don't want to give you money anymore. They'd be like, right, oh, nobody can, wants to pay you. Nobody right? wants to pay you because they'd be like, oh, you can afford it. Like I can't though. I really can't, you know. So I, get that. so I need you not to tell people I got money. I'm just looking at that shirt. That's I, listen, <laughs> she's lying, y'all. This is what politicians do. They be getting on. They just start telling tales about things that are not real, and she's already sold out. <laughs> okay, all she's right. already she's already giving Anybody away to the dark knows side. Tomorrow, know what this shirt looks like. This, this shirt looks like Go on I his got Instagram. it. Go on his Instagram. <laughs> this shirt looks like I got it off the rack. All right. <laughs> Don't be believing that foolishness. Well, moving, I, moving on to Ben. Keeping well, let's, before ben. we go to Ben, let's hold that. You asked me about myself. Do you want me to talk about Ben first or tell you about me? I'm going to transition okay. into, to, to um, because I want to talk about how you guys' relationship okay. started. You okay. know, and because it just didn't start with Trayvon. No. Like, and is it surreal to see from the years that you've known him to like where he is now? He is a legit... I mean, really, civil rights icon right now. So, right. yeah, it is very surreal. Um, I went to the Black Film Festival because his documentary was premiering there right. in Miami. Um, and this is so Ben. He invited everybody to the documentary film festival. Uh, the list was over full, so we couldn't even get a seat because <laughs> he had invited everybody. He's right. such an open person like that. Yeah. But 
Yeah, when we go places, you know, people give him standing ovations. And this is not just black people, right. white people. Like, yeah. legitimately, we were on, um, we did a fundraiser at Martha's Vineyard. Jesus and Christ. Oh, <laughs> at that fundraiser. Well, let me tell Y'all you. hear this? <laughs> fundraiser at Martha's Vineyard. Keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah, we need money. Politicians need money. I know, and but ben it's crazy. going to be there. Yeah, yeah, Ben, look, trust me. When Ben comes somewhere, you want to go. Right. Um, and so we did a fundraiser there. And... We were taking the ferry over to the vineyard, and the ferry was full, and it was, you know, full of white people. And they stood up and gave him a standing ovation, like, out of nowhere. And so that's what I see. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, he really is um, the black 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 attorney general. But I think it, people really do see him as that. Is it surreal, though, because you know from whence he, whence he came? It's, and it's, like, weird. I don't know. For me, like, um, my good friend, one of my— um, best friend Alicia. Mm-hmm. It'd be weird if all of a sudden I'm just around Alicia, and then people start treating her different because she's like, a, like a genuine celebrity. And I'm like, that's just Alicia. But I think that's gonna happen. I mean, look at Alicia's path. I right, think right, you're yeah. gonna get to that. Right, yeah, but I mean, it's like I can just imagine as someone you've known. How long you've known them? Oh gosh, over twenty years. Over twenty years. Imagine you've known somebody very close over twenty years, and then. People start celebrating them, and it's like kind of like it's just no, that's just Ben. It's yeah, not, that's how I see him, yeah. and that's how, really how he sees himself. And I think yeah. that's a part of Ben's success is Ben has the gift of gab. Uh, ben has he's yeah. he he he's gifted like that. Right. His gift is that he can make people feel comfortable. Yeah, when we talk, when we go to clients, Ben enjoys going to clients' homes, sitting down and eating with them. Right. I remember we had a case in Texas, Robbie Tolan who was shot and killed on his uh, shot on his front porch by a police officer. He wasn't killed. He did make it. But um, we had a trial and Ben was like, we should just stay at their house for the trial. <laughs> I was like, I don't think they want us at their house. Ben. <laughs> so Ben, it just genuinely is that person. Right. So what you see is Ben. Right. And, and, then, and, and he genuinely, genuinely cares about the progress and the struggles of black people. Do you find it frustrating because with that celebrity, Mm-hmm. Also comes a lot of criticism. Right. How do you feel like when you hear, because a lot of people don't right. even know your relationship and they probably say things about him. I know. They do. I don't, I don't even know. I don't know him like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know him because other people are close with him. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we've been in the same spaces, but um, I know for me, when I see like just some, someone online and they'll just like, they'll talk bad about him. Like, Oh, he ain't doing nothing. You know, right. you've seen that. Like he, I've every, seen it. every time he, every time someone gets shot, here he comes, right. da, 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 and he don't be changing no laws, and da, da, da. and then I, I have to like get up there and like argue on his behalf. Like I know this man, like he's my BFF, right? You know, and right. so, how do you feel about stuff like that? I, I am so, I'm so protective of him because let me tell you, Ben is doing the work. Yeah. Ben, not only what you see on television is, of course, you'll see the lawsuits. You might see a settlement or whatever, right. but you're not seeing the policy that goes in. You're not seeing the negotiations behind the scenes. You're not seeing how he's working with all these different organizations in different states. Right. When we did Breonna Taylor, I worked on Breonna Taylor with him. He, you know, they have the Breonna Taylor law now in Kentucky. When we did Andre Hill, there's the Andre Hill law in Ohio. When we worked here on cases, we've changed laws together. Um, the barbershop raids here where they raided black barbershops. Now, it's illegal to do those type of combined raids in right. Florida. Wow. 
because of the laws that were changed. So that's not the stuff that the media is going to report on because that's not the, you know, that's not the sexy stuff that right. the media wants to talk about. And many times this is not the stuff that happens overnight. Right. This is long-term nego- negotiations. This is collaborative organ- organizing mm-hmm. with politicians, with activists, with organizers in these different communities. Mm-hmm. So, and it takes, you know, laws don't happen overnight. Right. So it takes a lot of time right now. Um, ben, Ben is working with um, Sheila Jackson Lee on the George Floyd and Policing Act, a, a federal law, right. but and that's got stalled because of you know the 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 rancor among Republicans and Democrats. It, it's gotten stalled, but it's something that they've been working on since George Floyd died, wow. and continue to work on. Right. So you know I, I'm protective of Ben because he really is doing the work in this community, and not the thing that to me is most endearing about Ben is the mentorship that he gives to all these black lawyers. Ben tried to bring black lawyers in on all cases. He tried to, like, make sure that, you know, everybody went in every state that he works in. He'll bring in somebody to help the local because we need local counsel. And his local counsel is usually black lawyers. So, and he provides mentorship. If you come, you've come around us, like, when we go to, anytime he comes into town, he'll take us to lunch or whatever. And they'll be like, 10 lawyers, 10 young lawyers that have worked in his office. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah, Alicia being one of them. Alicia yeah. being one yeah. of them, yeah. 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 Um, Yumiko mm-hmm. was one of yeah. them. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I, I just really appreciate him, and he's really kind of, he's one of the people that I really admire most. Mm-hmm. So, you know, transitioning, because you guys talk about doing the work and being an activist, you have an activist background. Right, I do. And so let's talk about that. Like, when did you first get into activism? So my mother was a field director with the NAACP. Okay. So my mom's a retired school teacher, public school teacher, and during that time she's a field director from the NAACP. I was born and raised in Sanford, Florida. Mm. Um, And uh, growing up in that environment, you know, we used to go to protest all the time. We used yeah. to go to, you know, I, I remember licking stamps to write to letters and doing letter writing to um, to politicians to ask them about specific issues, usually civil rights type issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to school. I graduated here. When I graduated, I enlisted in the Navy wow. right after graduation, right after high school graduation. Why the Navy? I didn't know either one of them. I just knew that. My mom wasn't gonna let me stay home oh. <laughs> and not go yeah. to college, so I had to do something. Yeah. Yeah. So um, a friend of mine, she was gonna go with me to the Navy. She was the one that suggested the Navy, so I went with her. She, of course, did not go. Yes. Yeah. That's that always happens. Right, so, right. Um, and my first duty station, being from Florida, I born and raised in Central Florida. I I didn't even know snow was wet. My first <laughs> duty station was Keflavik, Iceland. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah Keflavik, Iceland. And I got a real shock. I remember washing an airplane outside. I was a O. I mean, I was an E one, mm-hmm. which is like the lowest level. Yeah, yeah. And I remember washing an airplane outside. Washing, like literally washing, washing. Yeah, we had to wash it out in the snow. Oh God! <laughs> snow. Oh God. <laughs> it was straight misery for me, and I was thinking, hmm, my mama was right. College is not so bad. Mm. Um, at that time, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Yeah. In college. Um, and then how I. Long you, how long were you in Navy? I was in I was enlisted four years mm. and then I was an officer for five years. Mm. So um, while I was in Keflavik, I got pregnant at 19. Mm. 
So I had my son. Yes, and in which he's now, isn't he a JAG officer? He's actually a lawyer. He just got out of the Navy. He was a Navy JAG officer, and yeah. now he's opened his own practice in Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah, shout out to Charlotte. Yeah, and yeah. I think that, you know. Just, uh, give his name in practice. His name is Kevin Edwards, and it's Edwards Injury Law mm-hmm. in Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, and so I'm really proud of him. Um, but being a 19-year-old single mom, yeah. and I had him at 20, and I, so, you know, that really was a struggle for me. For so, anybody. Right. And, yeah. and, and it brought in like a lot of issues that are happening now with people. So, of course, I struggle with, um, you know, rent. Of course, I struggle with daycare, with, you know, how do I go to, to, to work? How do I go to school at the time? Yeah. How do I go to school and be able to take care of him? Mm-hmm. And, you know, those type of decisions. Um and so that, you know, single mothers and mothers in general are, are really dear to my heart and making sure that they have what they need um, because I went through so much struggles with that. But luckily for me, I had a lot of help, too, so that, that some people don't have. So after um, when I when he was born, I got an NROTC scholarship after he was one years old. I got an NR, I applied and got an NROTC scholarship to Hampton University. Yeah. So I went Hampton to Pirates. Hampton Pirates. Yes, it's an HBCU. Shout out to Hampton. I just want to say Hampton has one of the most beautiful alumni. I can say that. Oh, thank you. I agree with you. Okay. <laughs> not, you know, not presence coming excluded, but I'm just saying. Yes. I do remember, you know, in my college days, you know, I shout out to Hampton. That's it, all I got to say. It has been said. Yeah, it has been it said. Has shout been out to Hampton. Said. That's all I got to say. If you are a high school male student and you were <laughs> thinking about an HBCU, we got, we got love for FAMU because FAMU is a beautiful school. But if you're thinking about going out of state, I just wouldn't say, you know, Hampton's not a not a bad spot to land. No, it's not. But yeah. it is a private college, and it does cost a lot. The it only reason I went there is because I was on a scholarship. And let me tell you how I picked this. Mm-hmm. I was like, What's the most expensive school I can go to uh, <laughs> since I'm not paying, paying for? Uh, I like that. <laughs> That's how I picked I like my that. school. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> that is exactly how I picked my school. And so um, I end up uh, spending three years at Hampton. Uh, I had to graduate in three years because I needed a job. Yeah. So <laughs> I graduated in three years instead of four, working my butt off. But I had professors who let me bring my son to school. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And then I had a... Uh, an angel on campus who allowed me to rent from him and his wife. Mm. And so I was able to stay with them wow. and rent from him and his wife. Then I was commissioned as a Naval intelligence officer. Wow. So their pay is different. So, yeah. you know, I had, I had enough money to pay for things at that point. Um, commissioned as a Naval intelligence officer. My, I was stationed on an air wing that was stationed aboard the USS Roosevelt during the first time women were allowed in combat. Oh, wow. So on a combat carrier. Mm-hmm. So that was a really interesting thing because we went to, I believe, nine different countries at the time. Wow. It's showing a show of force to show, you know, we are so diverse. We're allowing women on combat carriers. Yeah. So we went to nine different, con- and I was a Middle East analyst at that time. Mm-hmm. After that, I um, was stationed at the Pentagon. I went, and, I went and worked for the Joint Chiefs of Staff wow. at the Pentagon. 
And I spent two years there working on, um, back then, what was a top secret, you know, (laughs) mission to teach operators about satellite systems and how strong satellite systems were. You can get this technology now at Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) But back then, it was like top secret. Um, So I did spend uh, three, almost three years on the Hill and in, in D.C. And then I decided to go to law school. Now, I couldn't be a JAG officer because when you're an intelligence officer, that's considered special duty. So you can't do a conversion to another field. They spend a lot of money on your special duty. So I had to get out of the military. I got out of the military, and I um, went to University of Florida right. for law school. Yeah. yeah. And then after law school, I went to the public defender's office for a year. Mm-hmm. And then I started my own firm, Jackson & Alexander, in Sanford. Yeah. Shout out to the public defender's office. Now, I did not know that you worked the Pentagon. Oh, you didn't. I did not know that. Oh. And I, I knew you were in the Navy. I didn't know that you were a Naval Intelligence Officer. Um, well, maybe I did. It's been a little while. But, you know, I think that's a real unique fact. Because when I'm listening to you mm-hmm. and I'm hearing your multitude of experiences, right, um, just somebody who, uh, single mother, financially insecure, mm-hmm. um, had to figure out, make a way, and then... Being in Kevlevic, Kev, how do you say Kevlevic? Oh, Kevlevic. Kevlevic, Iceland, <laughs> um, military, you know, naval officer. I feel like all these things characterize how you see the world. They do. And I, I'm glad you said that because I will say one of the things that I, I love America. And I know that for black people, sometimes, you know, we don't feel that that love because sometimes America don't love us back. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I love America because I've been to 16 different countries. I have been to Turkey where I saw a fascist government. Mm-hmm. I have been to Israel where I've seen a police state where kids have to be enlisted as 18. Yeah. I've been to Iceland where there is no the economy is so bad that, you know, people leave. Teenagers leave as soon as they can because right. they don't really have any economic opportunity. Yeah. Um and so what I said, what that has done is made is giving me an appreciation for America and what America could be. Yeah, I agree. And so, you know, I think that it's up to us to push America to become the country that we want it to be. And I'm not willing to cede it to the Trumpsters. I'm not willing to say that this is their country or the patriots. I'm the biggest patriot. My mama, my mama fought in the civil rights movement. My dad died in Vietnam. My grandparents and ancestors built this country on their back many for free. I'm not willing to give it to them. Right. So I I love that statement because I think sometimes um, patriotism or is very much um, skewed in a specific scope Uh and love is, you in a specific scope. But in order to love something, you have to be able to criticize. Mm-hmm. And, like, if I'm indifferent to it, I'm like, I don't give a shit what happens in this country. I don't right. care. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. nothing matters. I'm just. One of my favorite quotes is by a battle rapper. His name is Loaded Lux. And, okay. and he, is, he said, I love, he said, you're a star. They love you just the way you are. But I love you so much, I'm not willing to leave you the way you are. That, and see, and I love that. <laughs> That's a great bar. And so I, I I think sometimes when we evaluate America, and especially black Americans, we have the biggest, um, we, we must love this country so much because we haven't left. Right. You know, and our history is so embedded in the fabric of this country. Right. It's our country. 
through pain and sacrifice. And blood and, and sweat. Yeah. That we, I often say we have the right, the most right out of anybody, maybe outside of, um, you know, indigenous peoples. Yes. To criticize this country. Right. And to demand that it live up to its values. You right. don't get to say that, you know, all men are created equal without making sure that you are living up to what you were saying in right. the Declaration of Independence, you right. know. So I, I love the wording of the Declaration of Independence. And I say we make America be this country that it says it is. Right. It's like it, it's when you're um, you know, I'm now celebrating 11 years of marriage. Mm -hmm. I always say vows are ideals in which you have to live up to. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you always live up to them. It doesn't mean you, you check off the boxes in every season, every year, and every day. But it's nice to revisit the vows and be like, ah, yes, that's what we were aiming for. Right. When you become a citizen, born in or sworn in, um, you recite vows to this country. Right. And the vows are not only what you, you know, you, I'm going to become a citizen, but also the vows of the country, what it's going to provide to, to you, you. As, a, as, as that citizen. I'm going to protect you. And so when you recite these vows and you become married into citizenship of this nation, it's important for the nation to be like, look, you made me swear upon you that mm -hmm. you will honor me and you will protect me and you will love me and you will, and you will guide me. So when you don't live up to those things, when you forget about me, right. when you forgot, when you, you know, hurt me, when you purposely try to skew me away or, you know, and, and you purposely try to ignore my voice, I don't feel seen. It's a, it's a broken heart. A right. broken heart is, is really somebody who loves something so much that they obviously, you know, feel crestfallen when they don't live up to the I promises. I think that's the perfect analogy because that's what I feel many black people feel in America. They, right. They're heartbroken. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I can take it to the Trayvon Martin trial. I remember I call that my, my birthday and awakening, mm. you know, to really the injustice. Because as a civil rights lawyer, yeah. we, and even as a lawyer, you know, you would know that we're taught, we, we have to defend the law. Yeah. And we have to defend, you know, the Constitution. And, and, and I, I agree with the Constitution, but like the certain laws, like stand your ground. Right. We have to be law abiding. You have to like, right. you, you have to say, okay, well, that's a good law. Well, it's not a good law. Right. <laughs> it's right. not a good law. Right. And we have um, a moral obligation hmm. to our people yeah. to protect ourselves from bad laws. This is what I think every, I think every lawyer at, at our core, we're civil rights lawyers. We should all say we're civil rights lawyers mm. and then we do something else. Right. You know, right. I'm a civil rights lawyer, but I do probate. Right. I'm a right. civil rights lawyer, but I do personal. Right. But at our heart, we're all civil rights lawyers. Especially if you're a black attorney. If you're a black attorney, you especially. You should be arguing for the rights of the, of those who may, who may not be in the know. Right. You know, right. the lay person. Right. You know, um, we were at a march. years. It's like six, seven, eight years ago. My name what it was uh, probably I think it was um, Mike Brown hands up don't shoot was that it was all black the yes bl yes and um and that would have been like 2013 yeah yeah that was a big march mm -hmm. and um I remember I was at that march and somebody came up to me and they asked me like why am I here mm -hmm. you know we were on, we were on a stage and they gave us like these. I guess it was shirts and hats to, you know, conscious observers to make mm -hmm. sure everybody was okay. Oh, no, that was, um, 
Gosh, that was, yeah, no, it was. I remember, yeah. Yeah. I remember, okay. Yeah, and. That was doing, that was a Black Lives Matter march, though. That was not a, it wasn't, it wasn't Mike Brown as a Black Lives Matter march. It was a Black Lives Matter, because everybody, and I, it, everybody, it was so many people Mm -hmm. that they closed down the freeway in the streets. It was Mm -hmm. crazy. But I remember I was um, standing on a stage, and somebody asked me, like, why, you know, why are you, why are you here? Not to be criticized, but they wanted mm-hmm. to know. And I said, I'm here to protect you. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're like, do you do, um, do you do civil rights law? And I said, I am. T- I do today. Right. You know, right. and so I, and I said, that's all you got to know. Yeah. I'm, I'm here to protect you. And I'm, you know, and, uh, my duty is to um, fight on your behalf so you can do what you need to do to march. Right. And right. everybody has a role. Yeah. And that was your role. And, you know, at the time, I, I, I am not an activist anymore mm-hmm. well i think you are i hear your podcast so i think you okay. are i think that what is the definition of activist activist I, I think an activist is someone who who pushes to make changes okay so i think that you know i don't think you have to be out in the street marching right. to make changes i don't I, do that anymore yes right. so you maybe you don't do you know marches anymore yeah or, or protest anymore yeah i don't do protest anymore i you know i wear hard bottoms and I'm yeah. wearing six hundred dollars shirts, apparently. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> I see it. <laughs> so, uh, but no, I, I, my, I, at the time, and I realized that it was actually at that moment when I was, I was watching all the young people, and they were fired up on a stage, and all, it was a beautiful sight, and it's something that was burned in my mind. All the young, there were high school students and college right. students, and it was at that moment it crystallized to me even after that conversation I have with that young lady, I was like, yeah, I'm in a different space in my life. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not these, and I was okay, but it was felt good to see like, you know, like we're going to be okay. Right. Because like they care so much right. about what's happening in the world. And was so passionate that I didn't feel like I had to, organize a rally i didn't feel like right. i had to. your job at that point was to protect them and when you, yeah. i want to make sure your audiences understand what kamar is saying we were legal observers at that protest yes so as legal observers you are the people who are if someone gets arrested or if yes. they get harassed by the police you know we have the bond money yeah. we're going to represent them pro bono yeah. without so that they don't have to worry about that and help them um, so, and that's why there's different roles in everything and, yeah. and you mature to sometimes different roles. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it was, I realized it was at that moment, literally it was a turning point in my life that changing over and like, I realized my role in life and in society has to be and needs to be in a different space. Right. Still pushing the conversation forward, still protecting my people, still looking out for my people, but I don't have to be this person that needs to be out in the forefront marching right. and holding up the signs or creating the rallies or anything like that. I could be in the background. I can fund people. I can do things right. that is in a different space. Um, and I, and I don't want to, I think I use the word mature. I mean, you, you changed a different word yeah. because I still go out and protest. No, no, no. And not, and not, I still, yeah, yeah. Not, not in a, in a that's not, and that's not yeah. disparaging of those. No, no, no. I'm just yeah, saying yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, everybody has a role. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, we play roles. There are agitators. There are people. And, and I like to explain to people sometimes about protests, really good and well-organized protests 
everybody knows their roles. You got right. the legal observers. You got the agitators who are willing to get go to jail. Right. You got, you know, the people who are going to be calling, make sure, calling out the chance to get right. people fired up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the value of protest. I hear people talk about sometimes, you know, well, what do protests do? They don't do anything. They actually do a lot. They do. They, yeah. You know, they get, they get you the media. Yeah. They get the people fired up about it. Mm-hmm. You get the young people. Now you've gotten, now you got people who are willing to organize. Yeah. Now you got people who may be willing to, you know, go, go further as far as um, change and making change. So mm-hmm. that's the, that's the, that's the value of protest. And I, I, we, I, I can speak on behalf half of Ben Crump on this. We can't do our job without organizers and activists. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, the, the thing is what I love about, um, first of all, actually, let me back up. I was getting, I was being interviewed one time by somebody in a newspaper mm-hmm. and you know, they were talking, it's like, well, so you're an activist. And I know you said you, I am, but I, I just don't feel comfortable. And I tell you right. why, because when I think of activists, I think of people who are, like you said, doing the work. And I'm going to get to, you know, Ben and Ben and you in a moment. But I, I'm, and I think of people in a limited scope, like doing the work. And I, and I was telling this reporter, I said, you know, I'm not comfortable calling me an activist because I, said, I live a very comfortable life. And I know that to be a real activist in this space, I know the sacrifices you have to make. And I'm so embedded in my lifestyle mm-hmm. that I know. I'm just not willing to make certain sacrifices in order to push. Like I'm not willing to go to jail, you know, for the right, right, wrong. Well, you're I'm, a lawyer. I'm, yeah, I'm not. I'm not willing, yeah, I'm not willing. I, I, I'm not willing. I will go to jail for the right reasons, but I'm mm-hmm. not willing to go to jail just to protest, right. you know, because. So I, you made that's great because right. you can be an activist and provided the bond money right. for me right. to be bonded out. Right, and so like that's kind of where what I and so I'm glad you you I, you you know you you've changed my mind on that because. You and Ben do the work. You guys yeah. are doing work in different spaces. And so, you know, so maybe that reporter was right. I think that poor reporter right. was right. I, just I, was, I was very, I, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to offend people who mm-hmm. may have read that. And then they might have been like, oh, so he's coming, he's talking about he's an activist. And I'm like, no, no, no. Because I know people who are who actually sacrificed their lives for this stuff. So do I. Now, I, and I know what you're talking about. I do know people. Yeah. But, I mean, I see people who are activists every day. I would say most black people are activists. They're, they're activists for their families. They are out here, you know, working. They're, they're talking about issues that I honestly think, you know, I don't think white people sit around and talk about, like, issues the way we talk about issues. They don't. We talk about them every day in yeah. our families at family reunion. You know, we don't have the luxury to say, oh, this is a family time. We're not going to talk about politics because <laughs> it's a, it's embedded in how we live. You know, if, to that point, um, in 2016, and then you saw it again in 2020, it was an article in 2020 how they're talking about white women mm-hmm. and how, like, they were so shocked in 2016 how um, they didn't know what their husbands who their husbands voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. And I said, I made a post on Facebook. I said, that is not a black household because <laughs> first of all, not only do black women lead right. most of the times on, you know, issues political of engagement, issue, yeah. political engagement and social engagement. But I really have, I've really, I haven't found a wife who's like, I don't know what my, who my husband voted for a black wife. Right. I don't know who my husband voted for. Right. You know, I'd be like, she'd be like, child, that man voted for Trump. Like, you know, right. if anything, yeah. you know, like, or she'd be like, uh, you know, I, I told him he needed to be voting. This is what he needed to go. Um, but it just shows you in embedded to your point in the black 
uh, community via rhythm of communication that, you know, they have to talk about social issues. Politics are a part of our conversations and our lives. Because it's our lives. Where, because it affects us directly. It's a life or death matter for us. Yes. Because yes. <laughs> it is, it affects every aspect. And I can't stand, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, while there are some, I do have some friends, uh, you know, white friends who, who say that they do talk about it all the time too. So when we're saying this, and I think it's important just for those people who might want to take things, right. you know, and take, drag it down the, the road mm-hmm. is that, we're talking in generalities, yes. but in generalities, I, I do think that black people talk about politics and um, uh, 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 civil rights and equality and justice on a more daily basis. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny, too, because I when I when I meet black people, especially like, you know, well to do and I don't, you know, they're professional and high income. Like, you're like oh, I don't think, I don't think about, about politics. I just I don't. That's not my world, and it really grinds my gears and irritates right. me because I always say to them, "Be like, I don't think of politics because politics." I was like, "Well, politics cares about you, right?" And even though you may not care, it's the devil. You know, you may say, "I don't believe in the devil," yeah, right, and that's fine. You don't have to believe in the devil, but the devil believes in you, right? And that, so you don't have to believe in things in order for it to be invested in you. That saying about you're on the table, you're either at the table or you're on the menu. menu. Right, right. That is so true about politics. Right, and you don't your lifestyle and your income and your connections cannot absolve you from your blackness in this country. Mm-mm. And I don't like when you see black people. Mostly, it's black men who get to a certain level. They'd be like, I operate in a white space, and politics doesn't involve me. No, you've decided to have politics not involve you. Because you want to, you you feel like it protects you. You're insulated mm-hmm. from the social values of this country. You're insulated from the um, the issues that may affect you. Like you, you I have health care, so why do I care if somebody has health care? Right. You know, but for a lot of black professionals, you know, especially when you're the first of your family to make a certain level of income, mm-hmm. you pay the black tax. I will tell you, I think that the most active people politically are working class people. And working class black people and older people because they fought for the right. And then the working class people, they are just hoping that this will this will work for them, that politics will work for them. And really, that's one of the reasons I'm running. That's why I'm running for Congress is because you have a we have an we have an obligation to try to make this stuff work for the next generation. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I listened to your podcast where you had Max Frost on. I like Max a lot. Mm-hmm. And I talk a lot. Um, and I think I understand the frustration that a 25-year-old would have. Yeah, I, I understand that frustration. And I understand the frustration because what we've seen traditionally in politics is that there is no mentoring. Yeah. There's a hoarding of power. Yeah. You have these old people in politics yeah. who do not look back. They do not have a hand back and say, come on, let me help right. you. Right. Let me, you know, let's build together. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have that, then, yeah, the, the, the future generation and the younger generation, they're going to be like, well, why should I wait my time? Why should I, you know, why should I say believe that you're going to lay a path for me? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, it's, there's a frustration, mm-hmm. and you see it whether it's locally, statewide, or federal. You, to your point, it's people who are like, and I'm, I'm not belittling, you know, an older generation, but it's me like, neither. But it's like, yo, like, 
Y'all been here already. Like, let somebody else have a pass the torch or just move. move or not on. even. I, I just say just mentor somebody. I think that we're I not do, even yeah. seeing that. We don't see it many yeah. times. And yeah. I'm not saying. I'm once again. This is in general because you do see it with some. But we're not seeing that, and that is that is the frustration. I talk to these young politicos, yeah. and they're like, you know, we're not gonna, you know, nobody's gonna help us. No, to that <laughs> point, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a. a I was retelling the story to somebody today. I'm not gonna mention any names, mm-hmm. but um, a person that was in office a long time ago. I used to be a legislative aide, mm-hmm. and now if I do give context clues, people might know who I'm talking about. But I'm still not gonna mention any names. But I remember being um, a legislative aide for this person. And, you know, I was that experience was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but my year review, I was, they asked me, so what is your plans? And I said, well, you know, I'm, probably, I'm young, in my 20s, early 20s. I said, I don't know, maybe I'll, you know, I'll do this for a couple more years. And then when you term out, you know, I'll run in your seat. They had been in there for years. Mm-hmm. I wasn't telling him I'm going to push him out. Now. I said, right. Yo, you're saying, listen, you, you know, know, can you mentor me so that I can come next? Right. I can be next. I yes. can be up under you, you know? And I said, you know, but I'll, you know, for years, I'll just work mm-hmm. under you. And then I'll, you know, when you turn out, then I'll, um, you know, slide in your place as far as campaign and whatnot. And mm-hmm. you t- show me the ropes. It just kind of sat there quiet. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Literally the next day I was fired. Wow. That you, it doesn't <laughs> surprise me. Didn't and I was like, that was like, what? <laughs> you know, but it it showed me, like, oh, yeah, they don't. They're not trying to, you know, mentor anybody to come behind them because they're trying to hoard power. power and influence. And I thought that was, to me, it was what those experiences and that the multiple experiences since then have shaped the way I see people and even like in law. I never information right and so, neither do i and i will tell you who is the our role model on this is thoroughgood marshall mm-hmm. so one thing that i and i love telling young lawyers this because i that thoroughgood marshall is my hero and he's my hero for a different reason than for most people it's because when he got to the supreme court he wrote an opinion on every every um case that came before him mm-hmm. That dealt with civil rights. He wrote an opinion, whether it was a dissenting opinion or a consenting opinion. His opinions are instructions for young lawyers who come next Mm. of what to do. Right. I mean, that is amazing to me. When I realized that, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's what that's how you do this. Right. Right. You're laying out a blueprint. You lay out the blueprint. You have a strategy and you say even if I'm not here, mm-hmm. you do this, young person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is for you. Yeah. So you do this. And he had, of course, you know, he mentored so many yeah. black lawyers or whatever. But I, so that's why I, I think that that's one of the reasons that I really wanted to get into politics was to lay this plan. I believe in term limits. I don't think you should be in office till you die. Right. <laughs> Dying in the yeah. Right. Until you die, until you decease. I think right. that, but I think, I think you have an obligation to lay paths. And this is what I see. And, and let's get away from age or whatever, because it's not really about age. It's about, this is what I'm seeing that we're missing. Yeah. What we're missing is that if someone doesn't get their seat back, now there's a power void. Yeah. There's no strategic plan being laid yeah. that anybody can be plugged into right. the way in op- the way a system operates where it is operating. And this is like with any business or anything, you have to have a system. And that system can't be dependent on a person. Right. 
it has to be able to, anybody should be able to plug into that system. Absolutely. And so that is one of the reasons that I'm running. Like I said, I, you know, I think that I really do think that I'm the best person for this race. So let's, let's get into that. Right. So what possessed you? I mean, possessed in the strongest word, because you have to be crazy. uh, Yeah. To want to jump in and run, not just any seat, Natalie, right. Run for Congress. Now I will say the reason why Natalie is crazy. And I say this with love, but Mm -hmm. Natalie is crazy because as we said at the top of this pod, we have supported campaigns. And if you've right. been involved intimately in a campaign, that will scare you straight and sober to like, I am never going to run for office because I know exactly what kind of hell that is. And that is what I've always said. <laughs> I mean, yeah. people have been asking me to run for office since Trayvon Martin. Yeah. And I'm like, nope, nope, never, mm-hmm. never. This, you know, it's too much. You're exposing yourself. You're exposing, you know, your family to all this stuff. People are going to be digging in your background and yeah. stuff. And I'm, and like I told you, I'm an introvert and a yeah. private person. Mm-hmm. What made me decide was January 6th. Mm. January 6th, I saw an attack on our democracy, on our way of life, on black people. I took it personally. (laughs) I saw those Confederate flags and them saying our country and overthrowing the way that we have lived and having a president allow that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was I mean, I was in tears watching that on TV. Wow. I really was. And I think that, you know, for me, I knew that there that that was not the end of it. Mm-hmm. And I knew that we're, we are going to be facing those type of that type of thinking. It may not be under Trump, but that type of thinking, it never dissipates, never goes away. Right. But it's been amplified it and it's been given, it's been given air and it's been giving a life now. So it's something that now we have to really be vigilant and fight. So a lot of people don't realize this. And I said this at the time. And I always say this. I'm like, Trump can be elected, reelected. Trump can, I, I say, you know, the thing about Trump is he's not the reason. He's he's not the paragon. He's just a vessel. Mm-hmm. And you remove a vessel with energy. The, the thought process about energy is energy never goes away. Mm-hmm. It just transfers. And energy can, it it will find a, a host. Right. You know, to attach itself onto. Right. And um, one day I was going to make a, Denzel watched um, Denzel watched him. That's a movie, and he there's a demon that jumps into different bodies, or whatever like that. But it's so such a small movie; a lot of people didn't see it. But anyway, it literally can attach itself energy into bodies of people or interests. And whether it started with the Tea Party and then it you know um, manifested into what you see now into these right wing extremists where they don't even believe they don't even believe elections are real, right? You know, and because they've deconstructed the idea of what American democracy looks like in a system. Trump was going to die one day, Mm -hmm. but, and this thing that he amplified and unleashed on us, it's going to be, you know, commoditized even more. It's going to be moved and it's going to be an energy that's not going to go away. And so you're going to have to have people not only who recognize that, but to fight against it. Right. And and who will recruit people to fight against it. Here's the thing. So the reason I thought it was important for me to run after seeing that is because of my military background, mm-hmm. because of how I feel about America, because people in this district know that I'm a civil rights 
civil rights attorney. They know that I fight for black people. So they don't question when right. I say I'm a patriot. They right. know I'm not saying I'm a Republican. Right, right, <laughs> they right, know right, I'm right. not saying I'm a Trumpster, right? Right, right? But I am a patriot. This is my country. Mm-hmm. And I want them to understand this is their country too. Right. I want them to understand that we deserve equal rights We and we have to claim it. They don't get to claim. They don't get to go on our Capitol and try to take our country from us and try to put us back into whatever they thought was great. Right. <laughs> they don't get to do that. Right. And I think it's very, very important for someone like me mm-hmm. who, who has been on the front lines of Black Lives Matter, who have been to say, listen, y'all, this is our country. Don't let them have it. Right. Because it's so easy. And I can understand how, you know, I can understand how young people are like, ah, F America. Right. You know, I yeah. can understand that. Right. Because you feel like it's F you. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. so. But I'm saying don't do that. Mm-hmm. Don't give it to them. Right. Don't give it to them because on don't the whole. That. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't concede this because on the whole, this can be a country. Yeah. That is great for everybody. I've been to other countries. I know how other countries not you're going to fight this everywhere you go. Absolutely. And a lot a lot of times with not the same opportunities that you have here. So, it's great you say that because have if you've traveled outside the country um and people think, well there's some spaces where it's a lot things are a lot easier as far as the racial as far as racial, but then it it moves to something else, classism classism or something like that. Right. Or, you know, and, and, um, you know, and dealing with hierarchy, social hierarchy and all that, Mm but, uh, caste system, that's what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. But I I find it funny because, you know, because people say, I'm going to move to, let's say London. Right. I'm using an example. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've been to London a couple of times here and, um, I'd be like, yo, I was joking. It was my ignorance. I spoke to somebody my first time going to London. And I said, yeah, man, you know, it's, it's interesting because I was a black, black, black British person. I said, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, America's so racist all the time. And, you know, man, I just like how, you know, they don't feel like that out here. And this is like when I was young. Mm-hmm. And he kind of looked at me, he laughed. He's like, yo, the British people are the most racist people. Right. <laughs> and then that's when I was like... It's the same And not thing. right that they are. I'm just like, saying yeah, that, right, yeah, you're yeah, going like, to find whatever you, right. whatever you can't, wherever you are, th- wherever you are, there you are, right. basically. Right. It is there. Right. So and you can't run from it. So right. you might as well fight it. Might as well fight. Be be here and fight for the things because you can't, you're not be able to, uh, you're not going to be able to run from um, race and social issues or whatnot um and fight for your piece of the pie too because you know when we're talking about what what happens in our community sometimes is we withdraw from government Mm -hmm. so we say okay well we're going to start all these nonprofits, which is great and i'm not saying anything about them and we're going to do for our own we're going to have self-empowerment well guess what you still paying taxes get your taxes (laughs) get your tax money right don't let them get to hoard all the resources in government. Right, no, right. we need to demand these resources too in our communities. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't as the, just because you make a little more money than everybody else, Kamara, don't mean you should have to pay I for the... I don't well, make a lot of money. Make, stop. <laughs> doesn't mean you should have to pay for the whole neighborhood. I don't, and I definitely right. don't pay... I am definitely the poorest man in, in, in my neighborhood. Let's just make that very clear on this podcast. I'm just saying though, you yes. know, we look at our celebrities, we look at these people and we're like, well, why don't they do more? Why don't they do more? And yes, they should do more. I'm not saying that they shouldn't. I'm just right. saying that why don't we demand government got a whole lot money, more money than my, than Michael Jordan even. 
You know, yeah. the government yeah. got a yeah. whole yeah. lot yeah. more of money. than LeBron James. Yeah, right. more than LeBron James. Right. Why don't we make them work for us right. in and this you know, community? It's, and it's your money. You've paid into this. So I'm, I, that's a great segue, but I do want okay. to say this part. Um, it is fascinating how in this country we've been conditioned to think that it's the private sector that should take care of society. And and it'd be it, it's the funny iron, irony behind it. It is people in government telling you that the government shouldn't take care of you. It should be people in the private sector. Right. Well, what the hell are you doing in government? Why? It's like a doctor telling you, I'm not supposed to treat you. The lawyer is supposed to treat you. Right. And it's like, well, why the hell are you a doctor? And we can have public-private partnerships and stuff, but, but at the same time, yes. it always, when it comes to usually poor and minority communities, that's when people are like, well, you know, you guys need to be more self-sufficient. Right. Well, <laughs> I'm like, what? It's crazy. Like, you see, like, dealing with abortion rights. And I saw, I was watching um, Fox News weeks ago. Don't ask me why. But I was watching Fox News, and they were showing all these corporations talking about, oh, I'm gonna, we're going to support women going into different states. And then one person literally said, uh, yeah, you know, this just shows you that we can change the laws in this country because, you know, the, the liberal, you know, left-wing private corporations are going to take care of people and it doesn't matter what the government does. Um, so people, basically, those liberal people who are complaining, you know, don't worry, you have these private corporations going to take care of you. I'm paraphrasing here. Mm-hmm. And, I understand what you're saying. And it was... Interesting, because I thought to myself, like, well, that's not their responsibilities. Right. And then one day, if the shareholders might wake up one day and be like, we don't want to do this anymore, where does that leave people who were relying on corporations or private companies who were in the business of making money, not to be social advocates, right. to be like, we're tired of being social advocates, so we're going to change the mission of, you know, this year. Like, when you had corporations in the height of George Floyd, diversity was a big thing. And then now, it's like, you know, it's not a big deal anymore. Mm-hmm. Again, it, they've shifted the focus. Before right. you couldn't get a company, everybody was out front talking about they wanted to, you know, diversity and racial and blah, blah, blah. And you, do you even hear companies talk about that anymore? No. Because they changed they change their focus. Right. They changed their focus. And that's the thing. It's like, of course, government shouldn't take care of everything. Government should take care of the things that, you know, the social contracts that we have uh, with, yeah, the, with, yeah. the, with the government. And I do believe that, you know, government should stay out of a lot of things. So when you talk about abortion, I think government should stay out of a woman's body. I think that government should stay out of, you know, private choices that you have. Yeah. So but I think that when it comes to my my favorite quote from Martin Luther King is that you can't change somebody's heart. So if it's like, you know, if it's somebody who is going to hate you, you can't change their heart. That's them. But what law but laws can regulate the heartless. And, and that's what yeah. we have to do. That's what government does. It regulates the heartless. And it, and and gov- laws allow a basis of protection, right, for everyone, have, for everybody. And so when the when the government says we're removing those protections, now you're letting it just run rampant. So mm-hmm. I want to ask you. Mm-hmm. Let's say August twenty third, mm-hmm. you wake up, mm-hmm. and you're the nominee, and okay. you just had a great night of partying. <laughs> it won't be partying. I don't think. Yeah. I think I'll collapse. Okay. All right. It's <laughs> be, true. From the work that we've right. been doing, right. this right. canvassing in a hundred degree weather. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's tough. Another reason why I don't want to run. But um, you wake up August twenty third, mm-hmm. two thousand twenty two, mm-hmm. and you are the Democratic nominee, which means the presumptive winner of that seat. Mm-hmm. And now, 
the sobering moment of you being Congresswoman, you know, Natalie Jackson. And you're thinking about, okay, this title and this responsibility. How do you characterize or how do you see yourself in that seat? Will you be, are you going to continue to be the advocate or are you going to be like, all right, I have to be strategic and I'm going to have to, you know, because Congress is all about, you know, strategy. Right. Like, what do you see yourself in that seat or how do you character, how you can see you characterize yourself? I see myself as someone just like Thurgood Marshall, someone who is laying down a long-term strategic plan for our people that any, that doesn't depend on me. Yeah. So that I, that's what I see. I think that is what is missing. When you see what happened with Roe, this was a 30 year plan yeah. by the Republican party. Yeah. There's a book called dark, dark money. Yeah. Um, and it talks about how, um, the conservative um, 40 year plan, 40 year plan. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. It was seventies. Yeah. So it talks about the, how the money, um, how conservative conservative money went to schools like Dartmouth universities in the, in the seventies. Yeah. And they changed the way that public think tanks were. Yeah. So they changed the thought. Usually public think tanks, they would like evaluate what happened and, you know, after something happened, mm-hmm. but they decided we're going to change this plan and we're going to, we're going to actually influence what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that is what, you know, that's what they have done. So they've, that's why they want to get into the schools. I want to give you an example of this. And I, it's hard for me to explain right now. Um, but an example was when Ben and I went, we did a shooting case in Texas. Mm-hmm. We, uh, this is a case, Robbie Tolan's case, that went all the way up to the Supreme Court. Yeah. It went, it was the trial judge, she denied qualified immunity. It was appealed to the, um, to the appellate court where they all they also did not they agreed with the trial judge appeal to the Supreme Court. Scalia wrote the decision, he overturned it. Yeah. So this is Judge Scalia yeah, yeah, <laughs> that yeah, overturned yeah. it yeah. and said, you know, we need to talk about qualified immunity. This may be a case for that where qualified immunity does not apply. Um, it went back to the trial court. Ben and I were going we Explain were, to people what qualified qualified immunity. Qualified immunity says that um Police officers can make mistakes as long as they were not put on constitutional notice of that mistake. Okay. And so it came back to the trial court. We're getting ready for trial. This judge, of course, does not like us because she got overruled on her denial of qualified immunity. We're getting ready for trial. She is quoting from the books, from the law journals that the police unions wrote. Mm. The reason that this is important is because this is how strategic they are being. They are... These are law journals from schools. So they have people planted into every society. They started in law school. Yeah. And so they're writing the journals in law school. Yeah. And then they're putting them in different positions. So you have the police union lawyer Mm -hmm. who is now the lawyer for in this shooting case that we have. And the judge is quoting a journal he wrote. wrote. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know. So. This is why long-term strategic plans is important. And I also think it's one of the reasons that many black people get disappointed with politics is that we, we run on two years when you're running for Congress. Yeah. So people are looking, well, what did you do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. we have to be honest with them and tell them that, you know, in two years, you may not get a lot done. That if you got, if you set down a plan and if you have a, if you have something where that can be built, if you sit down a bill or a policy that can build consensus along the way yeah. where you're building and building. And if it's, if it is legally sound, yeah. 
then you can really change things. But I think that it's it's unfair and it's really disingenuous to tell people that you're going to do all this and this and this and this yeah. in two years. Right. You know, it's not going to happen unless we have the House and the Senate. Yeah. Because truth be told, the House has been kicking butt. They've been passing so many bills and good bills that, you know, that really help people, but it can't get out of the Senate mm. <laughs> because yeah. of the filibuster. Right. So... That, you know, those are the things. So when you ask what would I do and what what I think is that I'm thinking, okay, number one building, you know, I pretty much have some ideas of who a team would be, but making sure that we have young politicos involved in it yeah, and making sure that they are now. So if I don't get elected right. in two years, <laughs> right. that somebody at least that, you know, right. understands the plan that I had yeah. will get elected. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so that's what I'm doing that, you know. Of course, you know, you can talk about the political answer. Political answer is I'm looking for the committee I want to be on. And, you know, I'm I'm lobbying for committees and stuff. But really, my plan is that we have to have a strategic long-term plan. We got to have a long game. And we got a long game that is not dependent on one person. It's got to be it's got to be a game where whoever wins the election is somebody that we wanted to win that wants to fill in this. Thing that wants to be a part of this strategic plan yeah. and move it forward that, and so that they don't make it dependent on them either. Yeah. Because what happens is that when one of our leaders die, there's a power void. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know what I love, I've always loved about you, Nat, is that um, just like me, uh, you love your people. You love black people. I and, do. And it is at the center and core of who you are and why you see the world. And you are very protective over black people. And I don't want to put words in you. I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like when you work on black issues. Right. You work on everybody's, everybody's issue. Everybody's issue. Yes. Yes. That is. And that's really the key. Right. Civil rights is everybody's rights. Right. If I help you, if I help uh, someone like George Floyd so that police officers don't bend on his neck. Right. Guess what? White people help too. Right. They're not going to bend on their neck either. Right, right. It helps everyone. So that's, I think that's one of the things that I kind of, I hate so much is that some people pigeonhole me yeah. into this, you know, like I'm, I'm such a radical. I love everybody. Yeah. I love everybody, but I know that in helping the people who have been oppressed, you are helping everybody. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, sometimes, if, you know, you get labeled an uh, uh, extremist. Right. I get labeled an extremist. I'm, I'm the least labeled. extreme person you will meet. I think so. It was um, a couple of years ago, a lawyer, and they didn't know that this got back to me. So this person um, was talking to my friend Alicia. Mm-hmm. And Alicia recommended me to like, oh, you know, we need to do this program. Oh, you know, well, Kamara can do it. And the person, it was a white person, was like, mm-hmm. isn't, isn't Kamara a bit of an extremist? Right. Alicia's like... Kamar, an extremist. Right. He's like, he's not, he's very passionate, but he's not an extremist. But it just goes to show you right. that because I'm passionate and open about my passion and views, I'm labeled as extremist. So I can understand the frustration. It is people, so frustrating. People characterize you as an extremist. And you're like, I'm not extreme. You know? And when lawyers do it, it's even right. more frustrating because, you know, people think, I'm like, you know, civil rights is just constitutional rights. Right, right. right. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, that has nothing to do with black people getting more rights than you. Right, right. That, that just means right. that we're going to abide by the Constitution and make everything equal and just. Right. You got a problem with that. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm labeled an extremist because of that. Right. Because that's what I believe. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so let's talk about this race. Okay. Uh, first of all, talk to me. Spend a couple of minutes telling me about, uh, again, <laughs> you running mm-hmm. and what that experience has been like. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. A couple so, minutes. Just tell me what do you. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I've always worked outside of politics. So I've been able to get policy change outside of politics. So I've never really had to, like, deal with um, the, the party trip. and yeah. um these politicos and, yeah. you know, these people who make, who have a, there really is a um, political industry that, <laughs> you yes. know, yeah. where the money is going and why you need to make to raise money and do all this stuff because you're usually, so money runs this whole thing and rightfully so a little bit because you have to have money to do things like advertising to market, um, to pay people who are working. People deserve a living wage who are working and stuff. But the, amounts of money <laughs> that yeah. you need yeah. who why you know that's the that's the part it's like everything in politics is is charged threefold yeah. I for my and I've owned a small business for 20 years and I know you own a business a small yeah. business Kamara and you know you see a website in politics world they want to charge you twenty thousand dollars for a website oh, <laughs> You know? I can find someone to do that for right. like fifteen hundred. <laughs> right, right. In politics world, you know, marketing is like it's it's all it's all like marked up. So that's been like really the the eye opener. The eye opener in this is just the amount of money that you have to raise and where it goes to. It goes to this whole industry, this political industry. Now let's keep it a buck. Yeah, it goes to a white political industry. It does most of the time. Now, I have done, my, all my consultants have been black. Right. Okay. <laughs> With the president's company excluded. Yeah. I say all that to say, because, you know, from what I see and what my experience has been, again, I'm not talking president's mm-hmm. company excluded. Mm-hmm. White, you know, consultants mm-hmm. are favored over black thinking. They um, are. Yes, definitely. And... It is fascinating to me because when you listen to these white consultants, mm-hmm. they don't have the slightest Sli- clue. Right. Okay. Now that is what I'm getting to. So yes. what I've noticed is that like there, there are consultants that run these candidates. So you'll hear candidates and they're spouting every word that a consultant has told them to say. Mm-hmm. They are. So really it's the consultant that is your candidate, not, yeah. the, not the person. Yeah. It's the consultant that is your candidate. Yeah. And they will listen to them. And these consultants, many times, they have only been in this political world. Yeah. They don't have any world, real world. They don't talk to real people. Yeah. <laughs> real people. They sit and they look at their numbers and they're in this little political bubble yeah. where they think they can pick a candidate, which we saw with Aramis when she ran, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they think they can pick a candidate and they think that their candidate is going to win when you could just go on the street and talk to people and you don't know who going. They ain't fucking with yeah. them. Like, so I, listen, I there's a candidate I had worked closely with and before I got um, in bed with them and I said, mm-hmm. this is what. I remember I told them, I said, listen, if I jump on your campaign, I need you to promise me one thing. I need you to trust me. And I know you already have consultants. Mm -hmm. I know this. But I need you to trust me to see, you know, to trust my vision. And they said to me, Kamara, if you join my campaign, you know, you know, I will trust everything you got to say. I said, okay. That's our that's our blood oath. We made a blood oath. 
remember this. And to that point, I'm very proud. Um, that person, whatever I said, they trusted me because they to the point where that their consultants, the white consultants, kind of sometimes they feel like well, I said this thing, but what did you do? Yeah, the person would be like, "Well, Kamar, what do you think?" Yeah, I'm like, "Well, actually, I think you should do this." Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we're on the same page. Other times, I'd be like, mm, "That ain't that ain't the move." Right, and they would go with my gut gut feeling. And it was actually that campaign, you know, we were very successful in, um, that I realized, it, I mean, I kind of knew with Aramis because I was, you know, worked closely with mm-hmm. Aramis, but I'm going to say the name. It was Monique. Mm-hmm. And it was at that moment, you know, Monique was like, she was like, I don't know, I don't know what you're doing, Kamara, right. but you... Pretty much like you you know. You know what's going on. You know what's going on. Because you listen to people in the street. I think everybody in the street knew Monique was going to win. Everybody knew Monique was going to win. And, you know. They weren't in that political bubble. Now, everybody in the political bubble, they were in their own little sound, you know, where they were just hearing each other's voices. Right. But if you went to the streets, you know what was going to happen. Right. And you knew, like, even with messaging. Right. Like, like when you listen to people, you know what message resonates with them. And... And then if, with you, when you understand messaging, you can strategize right. along with that. And I always, that's my gut thing. And, and it, I see campaigns all the time. To your point, they don't understand messaging. Right. And reason their messaging doesn't hit, because they're not talking to people. They're literally just talking to themselves. And they'll be like, this sounds like a good thing to say. Right. You know, a perfect example, and I know this is not involved, but one day when you get into Congress, right? Let's speak in existence. Um the, I always make fun of this, the Build Back Better law. Mm. And I was like, and I when I first heard it, I was like, that's the dumbest friggin' law. That's the dumbest title I've ever heard. But I already know what Biden did. He got around some $100,000, $150,000 consultants. And they said, we ran a, a, we ran a focus group, and we think that's the best one. And I said, they could have went to a mom or a dad or a family, single mom, single dad, or just, you know, a, a family and they could have figured out that was not going to resonate. And in fact, I said the better title would have been because at that time it was helping with, mm-hmm. um, you know, product levels and getting into the country, having manufactured, not manufactured, um, trying to get, you know, uh, 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 trucks were not being able to get to certain spaces. And you go to the grocery store and you saw empty shelves mm-hmm. and you saw people, parents trying to, there were you know, a lot of angst, like I don't have anything in the fridge. I don't have anything in the cupboard. You know, I don't have anything. My, my family is used to certain things that is not on the kitchen table. I said they should have called that the kitchen table law. Mm-hmm. And I said if you would have called that the kitchen table law, it's hard to get. It's yeah. hard to get Republicans. You, you're going to have literally going to have Republicans talking about we don't need the kitchen table. Imagine them saying that over right. and over again. They would bury themselves. Right. You know, but when you say we don't need to build back better, people don't even know what that means. It just sounds it just sounds like some like some New York firm. Yeah. But that goes to not understanding messaging and people. It does. And it goes to, like I said, one of the things that I think it I'm going to write a book about the mistakes that I made being a first time Uh candidate because it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one of you're spending this money on consultants early on. Yeah. And you don't you know. People in the party and other places, they're like telling you, oh, you need to talk to this consultant, you need to talk to this consultant or whatever. And you're spending all this money and they're telling you stuff. And 
me being in business 20 years, yeah. I'm like, um, dude, no, I don't need that. That doesn't sound right. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I was a first time candidate, so yeah. I'm going to listen to them, listen to them. Right. So that lasted probably about four months. And mm-hmm. then I was like, okay, we're going to do this, you know, the way that we do it. Yeah. And I actually feel better about the way we're doing it now. We're smaller. We, um, I know what's going on. Yeah. I'm going out canvassing. I know what the signs are. Yeah. I know. I like that even though, you know, and we, it's by force too, because our team is so small and, you know, yeah. we have like our, our money is um, very, very tight right now. Yeah. But at the same time, I also feel a certain uh, human touch to it. Like yeah. when I go, I went to, we were canvassing yesterday, Sunday, Saturday, we were canvassing Saturday. And hey, I knocked on a door and, and no, I I, didn't, I haven't seen anybody else, anybody uh, else's campaign. Yeah. No, I said the days are running to each yeah. other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was in Thornton Park, and I knocked on the door, and this lady's like, oh. She's like, you're the candidate? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. She's like, oh, imagine that. The candidate is here. Yeah. So, you know, that was very cool to, like, be out there canvassing with my people or whatever and just talking to people. It's like, oh, you want to talk to Natalie? Come here, Natalie. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's just stuff like that. I think that. In a, in this race, one of the things that I would have done differently is because I guess because this is a, quote, bigger seat because it's Congress. People think it's a bigger seat. But on the whole, my district is smaller than Monique's was. Yeah. Monique had Orange and Osceola. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so and I think that's I was like. For some reason, they're not looking at it like that, but that's yeah. just kind of like simple, right? To yeah. look at it like that. That's, what, that's is, the way I look at it. Yeah. <laughs> I look at it. I look at it like this is. It's a, it's a lot harder to run, and I, I don't, I'm just going to talk my shit. Mm-hmm. I tell people, um, I haven't done it back-to-back times. I feel like, you know, to win both Orange and Osceola County. Right, that's huge. That's huge because that's such a so big county right. that I'm like, I feel like a lot of people have not won big counties before. Right. So to win, to go to Congress, I'm like, I'm like you could take that strategy and just narrow it down to yeah. a district seat and you can literally strike. You, you really can. And like I said, I think that, you know, I, I, I didn't catch that until the end because yeah. I was new to politics. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously made a lot of mistakes. Our campaign made a lot of mistakes early on as far as like fundraising and doing that type of stuff. Right. Um, but I think now we're in our groove. Yeah. Hopefully it's not too late right. <laughs> since we hit our groove. Hopefully it's not too late, yeah. but it, there's a lot. I'm not going to hoard this knowledge that I know. Anybody who wants to know this, mm-hmm. I will let them know, you know what, what I I've th- learned. You know what I always, I always wanted? I mentioned this on a past podcast, um, and I say this on wax so people can hold me to it, but I've always wanted to do a political green book for black people. I love that. Yeah, I, I've always wanted it. There's things I know. Yeah, I love that. We, for candidates, and, and really, I, I think just for candidates who, you know, people who are discouraged from running yeah. because they don't have the money, they don't have the, you know, the the political connections or whatever, but they may have the knowledge. They right. may have the, you know, the skill to do it. Yeah, so. yeah I've always wanted to do that. And I think, you know, you, because I hear candidates all the time, oh, I've, the things I learned, mm-hmm. you know, the little things I learned. I'll I tell you. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so and you it's can just put like, it in the book. Put it in the book, you know, because you don't know. Like, you know, small things of your signs can't be on this side of the road. Right. You know, certain, your signs can only be certain spaces and you're going to be this side. Well, that type of stuff I'm good with because those are laws. So right. I'm good but with people, the law stuff. But, but some people don't really, even yeah. those little things like, oh, your, size, your sign is only is this size. That's illegal. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's an illegal sign. Right. Little things like that. You can't put your sign over here. Right. But you can put a sign over here, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just little things 
that you don't know as a candidate and you make mistakes. And then even to the point of how do you message? What does messaging right. look like? Messaging and all of that you know? stuff. That, yeah. Right. Like, I could write a whole chapter on that. I think I think in, you should. I yeah. think that, that would be a very good book. Yeah. And you know, I think it's that very... That 15 people will read. I, well, you know what? No. <laughs> people, when they're running, they'll read it. Right, right, So right. you get a lot more than that. I right. mean, look how much... There's 18 people in our race when you count the Republicans. So, so. I wanted to talk about... That's what we call a segue. Okay. So um, <laughs> let's talk about your race. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like everybody in their mama is mm-hmm. running in this seat. I will say I was the first person to qualify. I mean, I was the first person to announce. So, Facts. So okay. that's right. one you of ain't, the you ain't, You're not a Johnny come lately. No, I'm not a Johnny come lately. And I didn't jump in anybody else's race. Ooh. <laughs> I, there you go. Um, so one of the things I would say about your race, which is really fascinating, and you, you've t- touched on this, it's how many people mm-hmm. are trying to get in this race. And you don't have to speak on this, but I can speak on it because I'm not running. But the we call about John, Johnny come lately. And the people jumping in, I'm just going to say their names, Alan Grayson, right? And Corey, rep, former representative Corian Brown. Yes, they're both in the race. They both came in at the same time. Yes. And they both announced very late, like three, four, no, four weeks ago, was it? I believe on the last day of qualifying, which was what was January twenty fifth. Oh, they. I mean June twenty fifth. Yeah, like, I'm yeah, sorry, June, June yeah, June twenty fifth. So, yeah, almost like a month or month or five weeks ago. Mm-hmm. That is extremely late. Uh, announcing on June twenty fifth for an August primary that you're going to run, and the rumors are, and you can oh no, you can <laughs> confirm or deny, but the rumors are that they. Jumped into the race um, as in consortium um, with Corrine being under um, Alan Grayson to, in order to divide the vote because they know that a seat like, like this, you only have to win like 15 to 16 percent of the vote t- properly. That's my gut feeling. I don't know about the numbers, but my gut is that you only have to win 15 to 16 percent of the vote in order to really get to the other side. Yeah, I think about 20. I think you're close. Yeah, 20%. That's about right. Yeah. 20 is a safe number. Yeah, let's say 20. 20 is a safe number. Yeah. Um, yeah, because 15 is a like conservative. Yeah. So um, they only know, let's say 20. So you only have to win 20% of the vote. Um, and so they know. Actually, I'm, I like my number 19. I I'm like, saying okay, nine, let's uh, say 19. I say 19%. 19. Okay. That's my gut. So they only have to win 19%. Um, and. With that much people in the race, and they want to split up the black vote because it's Corrine. Because how many black candidates are there? There's yourself, Randy Bracey, um, Terrence Gray, me, yes, Max, um, I think, oh Jeff Boone, six. I don't know who that is. He, okay, six six black candidates, mm-hmm. and then there's old Alan Grayson who's a political opportunist. Um, yes, I don't care. I'm just mute. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I'm, he's a political opportunist, a political opportunist, and I don't even think that's even a shade on him. It's literally somebody who he's jumped in so many races at the last minute throughout the course of his career, former congressman, but he and he knows he can outspend people, um, and he just he does this. This is part of his political character. Um, his strategy is to dilute the black vote in order for him to slide in with 
and because of name ID and money. And I don't know if that's how effective that is, but I don't. I think it's just fascinating how you have this much people in a race, and something's got to give. Yeah, something does. So I don't know about that rumor. I don't know, like you don't I, have to speak on that rumor. Yeah, I don't. I don't know about yeah. that, and I, I really don't know Alan that well. I, he's been nice to me, so I don't know him that well. Right. However, I will say that this was a plan of DeSantis to make this. This was a black seat. Yeah. And it was for black representation. Mm -hmm. And so DeSantis' plan was to dilute this black representation and then to have Democrats fighting each other mm -hmm. over this seat. Mm -hmm. And that, that is my belief. And I think that, you know, luckily nobody's gone into the mud. So <laughs> that's good. Well, you know, yeah. I think that nobody's, everybody's pretty much been right. tame. A little yeah. bit on this, and we haven't fallen into it. Has there been a debate? Yeah, so there's a, um, there was a, for, we've, it's so many people, it's kind of hard to have a debate. There have been forums. Yeah. So we had a West Channel 2 forum. We had an AARP forum. Mm -hmm. There's a debate at the Tiger Club that I was not invited to that I'm very upset about because the Tiger Bay Club is having a debate on Wednesday. Um, and they didn't invite you? No, and I actually called to ask if I could be on the debate and they said that um, they gave me a whole bunch of different excuses about why I couldn't. Why and they, I, what did they say? Um, one of the excuses, they only invited the top the top fundraising people. But that wasn't true because I asked them, I said, well, if you only invited the top fundraising people, why is Alan Grayson and Corinne yeah. Brown on it? Because they haven't even done any financial reports yet. They yeah. just got in the race. Yeah. So how do you know how much they raised? And then they said, well, they were former Congress people. So we invited former Congress people. So now you move the goalposts. I said, well, if that is true, then why is Khalid Munir invited? Yeah. yeah. Because, he, you know, he hasn't raised more money to me, nor is he a former congressman. Right. <laughs> they said, well, he's a member of our club. I said, well, you know, you're a private club, so you can invite whoever you want. But on your invitation, you put confirming um, confirming candidates as though you invited everyone. But there are four candidates that you did not invite. And, in fact, I would think you would want to invite a person who's polling in the top three. The only poll that has been released in this race was released, and I was in the top three right. candidates in this race. Wow. I would say, I would, and that's what I told them. And I was like, you know. It's fine. You're a private club. Invite who you like, but please, uh, I think we, you don't want to name names because I call them. I I, I know people at Tribal Bay Club, and I know. Well, no, I don't care. But I'm just saying, I yeah. think that they can invite who they like. I just think it's very disingenuous to say Absolutely. that these are the confirming candidates. Yeah. When you didn't, I think it would have been more um, transparent if they would have said invited candidates. Yeah. These are the people we invited. Yeah. Not that these are because my. Concern, and I told them my concern is that people will think that I didn't show up to right. the debate, and yet, which is not true. I think you should show up anyway. Well, I was going to, but you know what? I I think that I um, we'll see. I think I'm going to leave it open like that. Okay, I'm just going to say I like mess. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I'd be I'd be the one to be like, well, I'm just going to be there, and <laughs> you know, just go. You, I'm going to make my presence felt. Trust not saying that. Not saying that's what you should do. Trust me, you know Natalie. Yeah. I've, I'm I'm not uh, no stranger to protest. Yes, let me but, just say that. Right, and so <laughs> I just think it. I will let it be known. Yeah, you know. Oh, I've written letters. No, I've no, written no, the media. Yeah. I've written everyone. Yeah. I agree with you on that. Yeah, and so I will just say I don't know what I'm going to do on Wednesday, but I am no stranger to protest. Okay, I got you. I understand. Um, all right, so 
been on Twitter for 90 minutes. You have a, you're running a now a lean, mean campaign. Mm-hmm. It's about 22 days. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now you're still polling in the top three or the last poll. The, the last and only poll. I was polling poll. the top three. I was polling at two in one position and three in another one. Okay. So, um, what do you have to do in order to make sure, what are the things you know you have to do in order to make sure that you get to that top pole position? I think, you know, one one of the things that we need to do is make sure that people know that I am in the race. Yeah. That's it. I think um, many people in this area, they know the work that I've done. Right. They know that, you know, they, they've seen me on the front lines. They know that I'm, I, I am working to change policies. I have changed laws here with the barbershop raids. So, when black barbershops were raided, we got the laws changed. Um, I've worked with women, women who are on Section 8, women and children on Section 8, who've been defrauded by apartment complex owners, large large apartment complex owners, um, corporations. So that's one of my big um, campaign issues is that many people don't understand. Uh, the reason we have these prices out here is because you have corporations yeah. that are buying up large swaths of apartment complexes. They're buying up large swaths of homes like Zillow bought, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. bought so many homes or whatever. They, they, and they're but, setting the yeah, price It's yeah. collusion. So this is one thing why I think lawyers are needed at this time, because we can toughen up these antitrust laws to yeah. prevent these monopolies because small businesses are the backbone of America. Yeah. We got to allow them to breathe. We can't, have large corporations crushing them and that's what's happening so you know what i like about and i'm this is friendship not an endorsement mm-hmm. all right because i know people in this race mm-hmm. but what i like about your candidacy i feel like you have a perfect blend of real life experiences and um you know government and both private and and public Mm -hmm. and I feel like you have a well-rounded view because for other candidates in a race either they don't have enough life experiences they've never been in private so they don't know what that's like right or you know their life experiences are so sanitized to a particular spectrum which Mm -hmm. you've you've mentioned it before you know financial insecurity raising a child by yourself um, you know, going through, putting yourself through law school, uh, military background, um, small business, small owner. business owner, um, activists on the front lines, um, multi-million dollar settlement cases, uh, changing legislation, um, you know, making sure that even the quietest among us have the loudest voices. You've done all these things. That's my goal. And I feel like that is an experience that we need to see. On Capitol Hill. Thank you. Thank you. I think I think that. I just did, I just did your whole thing for you. You really did. So thank you so much. I'm just going to be quiet. <laughs> no, no, no. no. no <laughs> I'm just going to be quiet. No, no. But I will say that I do, you know, I hope that people will look at my issues and see, my, see mm-hmm. that I am running because I really do care about people. Okay, hold on. Yes. We're going to make this your final okay. thought. Okay. So this is your final thought. Tell people why they should vote for Natalie Jackson on August 23rd. Okay, you should vote for me because I I am a small business owner. I have been an employee, and I understand employers. I understand both of those. I've been in the military. I've worked on in D.C. I've worked in federal government. Mm -hmm. I've also worked in private government. 
I'm also a civil rights attorney. I understand that we need to make sure that we are protecting democracy because without democracy, nothing else matters. Voting rights is so important. Ensuring that we have fair elections, so important because guess what? If we don't have that, nothing else. All these issues that we all agree on, and I will say most Democratic candidates agree on the same issues. Most of these issues that we agree on, they can't go anywhere if we don't protect our voting rights and if we don't protect to make sure that fair elections are there. So I think that you should vote for me because I have done everything that all these candidates have done. All the candidates, the political candidates, I've done what they've done outside of politics. The organizers and activists, I do what they are doing on a daily basis. I've done it for 20 years. Um, I've worked with organizers and activists. I also am in this race because I really care about people. I have not taken any PAC money. Well, I do. I've been endorsed by Ivy PAC. I've been endorsed by Now and Vote Vet. Those are very, you know, they, they're, I'm a veteran, so they endorse me. But I have not taken like any, I've not made any promises. We get these questionnaires all the time. I haven't made any promises to anybody. Right. I'm here for the people. Right. So I'm here for the people in District 10 to help them and help change their lives. Right. And a different representative in District 10 that, you know, someone who's been an advocate and not someone that is either jumping in the seat for a political opportunity or holding his seat, keeping it warm for somebody else. For to jump someone in. else, right. You know, no. that's another rumor that, you know, what rumor you've heard that rumor. No, no, I haven't. Oh. Me? I'm no. holding a seat? No. Oh. <laughs> I know. Oh, you never heard that rumor? Uh-uh. There is a person that has been rumored, and they went around early on in their campaign saying that, telling people, and then they walked it back. Well, I'm just running in this seat, and then I'm keeping it warm for when the previous person... Uh, oh, you no. You know, just in case the previous person doesn't turn out, then they want, you know, they can get that seat again. Oh, okay. I'll well, tell you that offline, but that, that yeah. is a... Oh, I do. That, I, and they were actually, they actually were going around telling people early on. They were doing. And then people were like, you sound crazy. Why are you telling people this? <laughs> and, you know, you know, in this political world, people talk. Wow. So, yeah. Anyway, but you don't do that. No, I'm here yeah. for people of District 10 and yeah. District 10 only. I'm here for the people. Yeah. Um, but I will say, you know, our district, my seat is a Democratic seat. Mm-hmm. So it will remain Democratic seat. And I really hope that people vote for me. But y'all got to vote for Val. And you got to yeah. vote for Aramis. Yeah. Those are seats that we need. So yeah. Aramis Ayala, Val Demis, we got to turn out for them. Mm-hmm. We need the Senate. Yeah. We need the Senate. And we need the Attorney General seat. And Yes. So that we yeah. can have somebody that's a counterbalance to DeSantis. Yes, so. yes. Um, so I like to end my podcast by doing a love letter to black folk. Now, this can be a different love letter because um, this is a weird situation to where, you know, I know so many different people running in this seat. As I said, it's 18. But, uh, you know, so dear black people, we just had a great conversation with a congressional candidate, uh, Natalie Jackson. And it makes you think about the importance of Having having life experiences and the importance of um, taking those life experiences into advocacy and really shaping that advocacy into how you can ha- make an impact in the community. You know, sometimes we feel like our voice is only limited to our particular scope in our career, and it takes real courage to walk outside that scope and say, "I'm willing to do something different in order to bring something different." And we, as a people, have to be willing to do that and not be afraid of our circumstances or our comfort or, you know, just the world and say, I can believe I can be a voice. So I challenge all black people, you know, to be a voice within your silos of your community, whether it's actually running for office 
or actually just running, you know, your friend circle and telling them you need to run, you need to, or you need to um, donate. And honestly, just for black people in general, oftentimes we talk about politics, but we're not involved in politics. And I think that is one of the cardinal sins and mistakes we make. And we have to learn to be more involved because policies, although they may not have us by the byline, they may have us by the neck. And so we have to be mindful and careful about, you know, being obtuse to who are in these seats protecting us. And yes, we may have 50 million people, you know, running in this seat, but there's only going to be one person that's going to be advocating for you. And we don't know who's going to be running that seat, but we do know the person that's going to be in that seat is going to have an impact not only um, nationwide, but also in this small town, O-Town of ours. So with that being said, um, I couldn't think of a better song to write out to with the person who may run this town is this one. We love y'all. Thank y'all for listening. And until next time, we are out. Feel it coming in the air. Yeah. And the screams from everywhere. Yeah. I'm addicted to the thrill. I'm ready. It's a dangerous Stop. love affair. Can't be scared when it goes down. Got a problem? Tell me Stop. now. Only thing that's on my mind is who gon' this town Your allegiance, get your fatigues on All black everything, black cards, black cars All black everything, and our girls are black birds Riding with they diligence I can't more in depth if you boys really real enough This is not familiar, I'll explain later But for now, let me get back to this paper I'm a couple bands down and I'm trying to get back I gave the grip, I lost a flip of five stacks Yeah, I'm talking five comma six zero Shot zeros, here the Back to running circles round niggas Now we squared up, hold up Life's a game but it's not fair I break the rules so I don't care So I keep doing